father carry the weight on his same people would see Maryam kullama dakhala alayha أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا O you believers استجيبوا لله وللرسول استجيبوا لله وللرسول إذا دعاكم لما يحييكم and accept and confirm the call of Allah and his messenger to give you life, to bring life to you. Meaning, take the teachings of Allah, take the teachings of the Quran, take the sunnah of Rasulullah and incorporate it within your lives for that is the only way for your community your family, your ummah, you as a person to live a life and lead a life that is significant. Or else, we have many individuals who breathe, many individuals who blood flows within their veins, but it's as if they're dead. Their existence is like the existence of a person who's dead. And sometimes they happen to be worse than a person who has passed away. Why? Because if a person has passed away, he and she are no longer a burden on society. They no longer impose themselves onto their families, onto their friends, onto their neighbors, onto the welfare system. But there are certain individuals who when they're alive... They're a burden onto those surrounding them. And of course, Amir al-Mu'mineen wa Mawla al-Muwahideen Ali ibn Abi Talib, he alludes to this. He alludes to the principle that defines a man who is alive from a man who has died even though he breathes and there is blood circulating in his veins. Amir al-Mu'mineen says, Al-Nasu miyat People, generally, are dead, even though they exist. However, the ulama, the scholars, those with knowledge, live as long as there is life on the face of this earth. Meaning they outlive the years when they're physically on the face of this earth. He may be here for 50 years. He may be here... For 60 years. He may be here for 70, 80 or 100 years. But after this alim, after this scholar, after this thinker, after this philosopher passes away, he still exists and he remains amongst the people with his knowledge. Therefore, the opposite also applies. Those without knowledge, those who live in a state of ignorance, are individuals who are not alive even though they breathe today. Let us ask ourselves, brothers, sisters, 1,430 years have passed since the dissension of this ayah. Since this ayah 
was revealed unto the heart of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Approximately 1,430 years. Let's ask ourselves, is this ummah an ummah that is alive? Is this ummah an ummah that's living in a state of awakening? Is it thriving on knowledge? And I tell you, if you want to evaluate an individual and the state of his knowledge and awareness and intellect, you evaluate him through the times when he becomes angry. For anger is the greatest sign of ignorance. You always find people who don't know what to say, who don't have a response, they utilize force. If he can't give you a logical response, he begins to use filthy language. If he has muscles, he begins to use his muscles. If he has a military, he begins to use his military. And today, let's look at the cradle, at the birthplace of the religion of Islam. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the last messenger to humanity. And he began the message with, Read in the name of thy Lord. The Saudi monarch who leads that nation, they write him a speech, he can't read it from the paper. Every sentence, in fact every two other words, there is a mistake. This ignorance also leads to anger. Whoever retaliates, whoever speaks, whoever expresses his mind, whoever questions his authority, must be killed, must be imprisoned. Today if you look at the case of Sheikh Nimr and Nimr, this innocent man who is imprisoned, why is he imprisoned? Is it because he was a terrorist? Is it because he gathered weapons? Is it because he was a drug dealer? Is it because he killed somebody? Is it because he tried to murder people? No. It's because he spoke his mind. He expressed his opinion. He remains in prison. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of the ignorance that leads to anger within the Holy Quran. Surah Yusuf. The encounter of Yusuf and Zulaikha. Zulaikha, she wants something from Yusuf. Yusuf doesn't give it to her. Once, twice, three times. What's the end result? She says, send him to prison. And she watches an innocent man, a man with no crime, rest in prison. And of course, if you look at Al-Qaeda, if you look at ISIS, the groups who are terrorizing people, beheading individuals, it's due to their ignorance that had led to such anger. Such extreme anger that they take a human soul and they set him on fire to death. Such ignorance that has led into an outrage of anger that they're willing to kill and behead children. An enslaved innocent woman. And of course, sometimes we speak of others but we forget ourselves. We also have some angry folks. 
We have some angry people. Today in the first 10 days of Muharram, where we are commemorating the most holy days, the most holy nights, the greatest sacrifice. The sacrifice in which completed the message of Adam and completed the message of Musa and completed the message of Nuh and completed the message of Ibrahim. That is why when you do the ziyarah of Imam Hussein, what do you tell him? Assalamu alayka ya waritha Adam, Safwatillah. Assalamu alayka ya waritha Nuhan, Nabiyyillah. Ya waritha Isa, ya waritha Musa. Until you come and you tell him, Assalamu alayka ya waritha Muhammadin, Rasulullah. And Rasulullah, he points out to this very important and delicate point. He says, Husaynun minni wa ana min Husayn. Hussein is from me, and indeed I am from Hussein. My legacy will remain because of Hussein. Therefore, Imam Hussein is the continuation of 1,124,000 prophets and their struggle. Now, in those holy nights, in those holy days, wal fajri, walayalin, what do we do? Let's look at our own community and how they fight one another. They discredit one another. They accuse one another. Over what? Over the commemoration of Imam Hussein. Yes, let's speak about those things. Let's actually discuss them. Let's put some remedy on them. Who wants to do the sha'ar of Imam Hussein in this specific way? And who doesn't want to do the sha'ar of Imam Hussein in this specific way? And what ends up happening? We call each other kafir. This person is not Shia. This person is Shia. This person is outside the madhab. This person is within the madhab. Yes. You as a scholar, you may have an opinion that this specific form, this specific ritual of Aza of Imam Hussein may be wrong. And another scholar comes and says, no, this specific mannerism of Sha'a'ar of Imam Hussein is indeed correct. Right? There is no reason now for us to take this to another step of taking each other outside the madhab, taking our discussions on the internet, making videos, discrediting individuals, and calling them names. Like I said, we also have angry people. And we have people who do not know how to channel and control their anger as well. And it's a shame. It's a shame that we sit in the school of Imam Hussein, in the majalis of Imam Hussein, and the days and the nights of such a great sacrifice, but we waste our time with such minor issues. We also have some individuals in leadership who take leadership position, but they also remain angry. And they don't know how to control their anger. And let me say this, their anger is strictly due to ignorance. Ignorance, meaning, they tell you such and such alim says you cannot listen to the speaker. You cannot invite him. You cannot support him. Why? Because he doesn't follow the specific marja'ah. Hmm? Because 
He is not with this specific understanding. And believe me, I can open up and, and start giving you exact details. I don't have a problem with that. But everyone here understands exactly what I'm alluding to. You cannot support this specific speaker even though he attracts the youth, even though he changes their lives, even though he has, for example, a content that will change our community. But because he does not publicly endorse such and such movement or such and such alim, we can't invite him. This is anger due to ignorance. First of all, how do you know the inside of the heart of this man? Do you know that he's against this alim? Do you know that he's against this movement? Do you know he's against this ideology? Did you go in his heart and ask him? In fact, in fact, did you even see him and ask him? Maybe once you sat with him and you asked him and he told you otherwise. Yes. But 99.9% .9 of the times, those are assumptions. We assume, we declare an entire war while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Holy Quran states, what? Similarly, brothers, we sometimes have some angry folks within our communities. And there is one of those, or two of them, or five of them, or a, sometimes a bigger number, smaller, within every community. Angry at the way people want to progress. Take a step forward. And it's not just us. Every prophet, every imam, every ma'soom also had to deal with them. One day, Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus the son of Mary. Imagine, they know that Jesus was, was born without a father. He's a miracle. They know that he's ruhullah wa kalimatullah. One day they saw him walk out of a brothel. Brothel. They went to him, said, Ya Isa, shame on you. You went to a brothel? Just like when his mother gave birth to him, they said to her that your father was a good man, and indeed your mother was a pure lady. What did you do, O Maryam? But the same people, the same people would see Maryam kullama dakhala alayha. Zakariya al-Mihrab wajad indaha rizqa. Qala ya Maryamu anna laki hadha qalat min indillah. They knew who Maryam was. They knew the purity of Maryam. They saw that Allah sends her heavenly meals. Yet they questioned, where did you get this baby from? So Allah says, Maryam, don't worry. You don't have to respond to them. Tell them that I have observed siyam. I won't speak to you. Then she pointed to the baby. How are we going to speak to him? Allah made him speak. Similarly, Jesus, who, who they knew who, he, who this man is, he walked out of the brothel. They told him, Isa. Like Shissa with brothel. What are you doing there? He said, sometimes when a person's ill, the doctor comes to him. 
when a person can go and afford going to the doctor, he goes himself. But when he is extremely ill, what happens? The doctor goes to him. I have a duty. Sometimes in our communities, when we want to make changes, there are individuals who become angry right away. I'll give you an example. I went to a community, I said, why don't you have a youth meeting? Why don't you have a meeting for the youth? Let the youth get to know one another, speak to one another, interact with one another, exchange ideas with one another. They said, Sayyidna, we did. We did, we had a, a youth meeting twice. And we gathered the youth, but they were looking at each other and smiling at each other. Looking at each other and smiling for each other, and that's it? You just... If this is the case, then please tell them to take you know, the GoPro cameras they put on their heads to school with them, so that you monitor every person that smiles at them and every time somebody smiles to them. This is not how things work, brothers and sisters. We must be able to understand the ignorance that is caused by this anger. And we must be able to find solutions so that we can move forward. Don't let this ignorance turn into anger, then it's never going to get diffused within your communities. Tonight, I would like to examine this topic this very important topic in the following manner. Number one, how did Islam come and change the most ignorant community of the pagan Arabs? Where did it start and when did it end? Number two, how is it that we must employ the greatest form of jihad? And the greatest form of struggle in order to control our anger. And number three, what are the three strategies that we may be able to employ to diffuse the anger within us? See, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, he was appointed to a community that would bury their daughters alive. Why? Because once he had a daughter, his face would turn black, meaning what? Meaning he would become so angry, he would become so upset, that's why is it that my wife gave me a daughter, she didn't give me a son. And imagine this, they were so ignorant that they didn't know this poor woman isn't the one that chooses whether she gives birth to a male child or a female child. So they would take this poor innocent child and they would bury it alive. They also had different tribes. Within those tribes, sometimes disagreements would occur. Sometimes fights would break. And of course, the famous fight between Al-Aws and Khazraj that lasted for more than 300 years. 
more than 300 years, Aws and Khajraj would kill one another. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Rasulullah to them. And Rasulullah worked day and night. He fatigued himself. He never rested in order to give them akhlaq, mannerism, change their moral and ethical standards. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam says, I was sent لِأُتَمِّمَ مَكَارِمَ الْأَخْلَاقِ So that I would perfect the akhlaq, the ethical and moral standards of humanity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within the Holy Quran reminds them and tells them, remind yourself of the times. وَذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاءً فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ فَأَصْبَحْتُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانًا You used to kill one another. But with the arrival of Islam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turned you into brothers. They say that in Medina, in the last days of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a man happened to have slaughtered three sheeps. So he took those sheeps to the impoverished areas of Medina. Everybody's poor. Nobody has ate. Nobody has food, especially meat. So he took three sheep. He would go to one home. They would say, my kids have already slept hungry. Check the neighbor's home. Maybe their children are still awake. If give them the food. They would go to the next neighbors. They said, we had some bread to eat. You should check on the next neighbor. Maybe the next neighbor remains hungry. Until 40 homes, 40 homes, they sacrificed a meal. They sacrificed an entire sheep. They wouldn't take it because the morality and ethics that they had had changed. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came and he perfected them with his akhlaq, with his morality. When a woman comes and dumps garbage on Rasulullah on daily basis, Rasulullah is asked by the Sahaba, Ya Rasulullah, this woman every single day, day in, day out, every time you pass by, she dumps trash on your head. Let's go and stop her. Let's teach her a lesson. Rasulullah says there is no need. I'll be patient. One day she'll stop. Until this woman fell ill. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then says, Today I don't see this woman. She's not here. They said, yes, Rasulullah, we asked. She's ill. She can't do the job anymore. Rasulullah took the hands of his companions. He said, let's go and visit her. Rasulullah went to her and he took with him a woman by the name of Layla. She was the physician of Medina. And Rasulullah says to Layla, see if this woman is in need of any treatment, of any medication. Try to cure her illness. This was the akhlaq of Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Safanah, the daughter of Hatam al-Ta'i. When she was taken as a captive, they brought her to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. 
Rasulullah looked at her and he said to her, Who are you? She says, My name is Safana. I am the daughter of Hatam al-Ta'i. Hatam! Hatam al-Ta'i is not a normal individual. Rasulullah is not going to take his daughter as a captive or allow the Muslims to imprison her. So he says to Muslims, Do you know who you've taken? This is Safana, the daughter of Hatam al-Ta'i. The most generous man alive. They used to give the example of Hatam everywhere around the Arabian Peninsula. We're not going to show her any ill treatment. So Rasulullah, he freed her. Then he told her, Safana, your father Hatam al-Ta'i was a generous man and today you shall see generosity. Rasulullah said, between two mountains, he said to the companions, gather camels and cattle." Gold and silver, clothes, garments, and everything that a caravan may need between two mountains. And he said to Safana, look at those Bainul Jabalain between those mountains. Take that which you desire with you and go back home. So she prepared herself after she rested with her caravan with the woman and men whom with, were with her, and she went back to her brother Hatem, her brother Adi ibn Hatem al-Ta'i. As soon as Adi looked at his sister, he said, what happened? She said, Rasulullah gathered all the goods between two mountains, and he said to me, whatever you see is yours, take that which you need in your journey and go back to your brother. This brother, he was restless. He said, do you think we can go back to Rasulullah? How would he treat us? She said, he would treat you like your own uncle and the brother of your father. Adi ibn Hatam al-Ta'i then went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa This is how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam was able to manage this community, change this community. Number two, brothers and sisters, the most important aspect of our discussion lies here. How is it that we must employ the greatest form of jihad, the greatest form of jihad in order to control our anger? The Dalai Lama, he has a beautiful statement. They asked him once, it's on YouTube, you can go watch it. He's, they asked him once, they said to him, do you get angry? Because you're always smiling and you're always happy. Do you ever get angry? He said, of course I get angry. But I don't let my anger control me. I control my anger. I don't let my anger control me. I happen to be able to control my anger. And don't tell me there is a man, there is any man that walked on the face of this earth that was, ex that was able to exercise this principle better than Sayyidina wa Mawlana Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib. صبرت فصبرت وفي العين قذى وفي الحلق شجا أرى تراثية نهبا The man 
who his name would shake the greatest of warriors. The man who never gave his back to an enemy in a battle, Rasulullah says, Ya Amir al Mu'mineen, Ya Ali, after me your test is sabr, is patience. And what did he witness? Not one, not two, not ten, not fifty calamities. Every day and every moment was a calamity onto the heart of Amir al Mu'mineen. Beginning from the Saqifah. And how they took his rightful right, the Khilafah, away from him. Some people say, wait, they took the Khilafah from Imam Ali. What's the big deal? Listen to this. Fatima to Zahra says to him, Ya Abel Hassan. Ya Abel Hassan, after the demise of Rasul. Ya Abel Hassan. When you walk the streets of Medina, do people say salam to you? This is, this is Amir al-Mu'mineen. This is awwal al-qawmi islama. This is the man who they saw Rasulullah took him by the hand. And he raised his hand. And he said, Ala man kuntu mawlah fahada aliyun mawlah. This is the man. He says, Ya Fatima, not only they don't say salam to me. When I say salam to them, they don't respond to my salam. Allahu Akbar. So when he says, فَصَبَرْتُ This is the embodiment of sabr. Allahu Akbar. He saw his own wife, the beloved of Rasulullah. Sayyidatu Nisa'il Alameen go through the calamities that she went. فَصَبَرْت I was patient. Every man, every woman who would say salam to Ali, who would be considered a friend of Ali ibn Abi Talib, they cut their dues from Bayt al-Mal. You stood with Ali? You're considered a companion of Ali? You're considered a friend of Ali? We're not going to pay you from Bayt al-Mal. Miqdad. One day... Amir al-Mu'mineen sees him in the middle of the streets. It's noontime, the dazzling heat of Medina. Amir al-Mu'mineen says to him, Ya Muqdad, ma akhrajaka min baytuk? What is it that drove you out of your home in such an hour, in such a time? People are resting at home. He said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, for three days we have not had food in our home. And for three days there hasn't been a meal given to my children. Amir al-Mu'mineen says, Wallah, alladhi akhrajaka min baytika akhrajani min bayti. The reason why you've come out of your home is the same reason which I have left my home. Fatima al-Zahra says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, for three days your children have not ate. So Amir al-Mu'mineen then goes and he borrows a dirham from a Jewish man. Jewish man! And he gives the dirham to Miqdad and he says, Miqdad, go and purchase some food for your children. Then he goes to the masjid and he begins his salah. Fatima al-Zahra sends Imam Hassan. She says, I know your father is in the masjid praying, go and bring him. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says thing, when things become extremely difficult, فَاسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَةِ This was Amir al-Mu'mineen, Ali ibn Abi Talib and his patience. The first Khalifa he came. Listen to this. This is your history. We must know our history. The first Khalifa he came, and he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam has not appointed someone. The people have asked me and they have made me your Khalifa. Anyhow, the Saqifa chose him. But how come the Muslims or the Saqifa didn't choose the second Khalifa? The first Khalifa, he came and he left. Now what about the second Khalifa? How was he appointed by the by the Shura or by the Saqifa or by Allah or by Rasulullah? Abu Bakr in his last days and his last moments, when he was extremely ill, Umar went to him and he said to him, write your wasiyah. So he wrote his wasiyah. That's the Khilafah after him belongs to Umar ibn al-Khattab. Then... He took the wasiyah, Umar ibn al-Khattab took the wasiyah and he gave it to the servant of Abu Bakr by the name of Shadid and he said to him, stand and read the wasiyah of Abu Bakr that the Khalifa after him is Umar. I ask a simple question, brothers, sisters, you who listen to those statements, when Rasulullah wanted a pen and paper, they told him, you are ill. The illness is extreme in your body. It's better that you don't write a wasiyah. But when it came to Abu Bakr and the time of his illness and his last moments, give him a pen and paper, let him write. فصبرت, again. The second went, the third came. And he went until they gave him unanimous bay'ah. They came and gave him a unanimous allegiance. When we examine the event of Ashura and the sacrifice of Imam Hussein, we don't examine this from the Khilafah of Yazid, brothers and sisters. This is our mistake. We believe that Imam Hussein. When Yazid became the Khalifa, didn't give him the bay'ah and that caused the death of Imam Hussein. No, what caused the death of Imam Hussein was the day of Saqifa. Was the very first time that deliberately the wasiyah of Rasulullah had been broken, had been forgotten. After he became the Khalifa, they all gave him bay'ah, they all gave him allegiance. And soon they broke the allegiance one after another. Came the battle of Jamal. Then came the battle of Safin. Then came the battle of Nahrawan. Until the man, he had seen so much difficulty. Sometimes he would take one of his companions, Malik, Kubayl. In the middle of the desert, he would put his head into a whale. And he would speak to the whale. 
So when they struck him, when Ibn Muljam struck him with the sword on his head, what was his statement? Fustu Rabbil Indeed, today is the day where I can receive my comfort and my salvation. Today is the day of my raha, comfort and tranquility. First, and I tell you, brothers and sisters, the greatest form of sabr is the form of sabr where you have to break yourself. Where you are insulted, you can retaliate, but you control yourself. For the sake of Allah, that is the most difficult one. When you have to exercise a form of self-sacrifice. Say, I can take this guy. I can destroy his business. I can destroy his home and his family. But I'm not going to do that. It's a form of self-sacrifice. Even though I'm being hurt today. Even though my business is not thriving. Even though he caused family problems for me. Even though I am taking the punches today, I'm not going to retaliate back because some innocent people will be hurt. That's called sabr, diffusing your anger with self-sacrifice. Amir al-Mu'mineen, when he took Amr ibn Wud and he struck him, he sat on his chest to finish him, but he spat in his face. So Amir al-Mu'mineen, he got up right away. You all know the story. He went, he walked, he diffused his anger, then he finished him for the sake of Allah. Why? That is the moment of self-sacrifice. I won't do it for myself. I'm not going to let the anger within me control me. I'm not going to let the anger within me conquer me. Why? Because those who make us angry happen to conquer us. They take over us. They take over all of our faculties. Imagine in the morning you're going to work. It's so far a good day. You know, it's been half an hour. You're on the road. Somebody cuts and comes and cuts you off. What happens? They've owned us. They've conquered us. Road rage. No, no, no. I have to now go in front of him and cut him off. I have to make sure I go and I show him, you know, some sign language. Then the whole day is ruined. That person happens to have the ability to conquer us, those who make us angry. And that which makes us angry takes the best of us. How many people have lost their families, have lost their children, have lost their jobs because of their anger? And sometimes, brothers, sisters, anger could be the main reason behind our failure. You see somebody, he's brilliant, he's bright. She has the ability to become the most successful individual in her field, but they fail. Why? They fail because of their anger. And Allah speaks of this within the Qur'an. And an ayah that many of you recite on daily basis. What is anger in the Arabic language? What is it? Ghadab. وَذَنُّونِ إِذَّهَبَ مُغَاضِبًا فَظَنَّ أَلَّنَّ نَقْدِرَ عَلَيْهِ 
فنادى في الظلمات ألا إله إلا سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين All the مفسرين say the ظالم here ظلمت نفسي I did injustice to myself. Why? Because then Noon or Yunus became angry with his community. Allah gave them three days as signs, three days signs, consecutive signs. And if they would not repent, the punishment would come down. As soon as the first day arrived and... Yunus saw the first sign of the adab of Allah has arrived. Yunus left them. Left them how? With anger. Have you seen sometimes there is meetings, business meetings. The, mis- the, the meeting goes wrong and some people just boom. Leave. Shouting. Yelling. He left his community with the utmost anger. Then what happened to him? The poor guy was thrown in the stomach of the whale. And you know, sometimes when we're angry, what happens? Allah tests us even more. You're trying to calm down, but the test becomes more difficult. It's when I have the ability, do I have the ability to control my nafs? This anger that is a faculty of my nafs? Or is it going to take over me? Or is it going to conquer me? So this poor man, he was in the ship. They said that there is a well. This well is hungry. If we throw some one person out, it's going to leave us alone. So they said, let's do Qur'ah. Let's make a draw. They drew three times and every time they did a draw, this poor man, Yunus. So they took him and the whale swallowed him. In the stomach of the whale, in the darkness of the ocean, there we realize, Oh Allah, I wronged my family. I wronged my children. I wronged my wife. I wronged my husband. Now I have regret. Why did I do this? Subhanaka inni kuntu min Ya Allah, I did dhulm. I did dhulm to myself before others. And that's why you find that many of the elders, unfortunately, when they become old, where do they reside? In their child's home? In their daughter's home? In their son's home? No, 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 no. They take them to the foster care. Throw him there. They said, for 60 years you were whining and yelling and shouting. We just want to get this over with. Go. Every three months they won't go and visit him or look at him. Why? I'm not saying this is correct. But I'm saying there has to be a reason why this was caused. Let's not be the cause of our isolation with our families. Let's not be the cause of our isolation with our friends. You find some people, they always have problems with their friends. And every time it's their fault. <laughs> Allahu Akbar. I don't like this person and such and such person. Why? Because he wronged me. Okay, maybe he wronged you. Tomorrow there's another fight. What happened this time? He wronged me. 
another fight. Who wronged you now? Who caused this? He wronged me. This is almost impossible. Let's look at ourselves. Let's see where the problem lies. The majalis of Imam Hussein, brothers and sisters, are meant to perfect us, purify us, change us, change our families, change the way we live. As Sayyid Bahr al Ulum, he was known for his akhlaq. He was known for his akhlaq. He was known for his mannerism, for his ethics. They say a scholar from Iran, Qum, the house of Qum, went to the house of Najaf by the name of Naraqi. So Naraqi went, all the ulama, all the maraji', all the mujtahideen, they went and they visited him. Except Sayyid Bahr al-Ulum. Naraqi, he was a sheikh. So he said, maybe the Sayyid sees that because he is a Sayyid and I am not a Sayyid, I should visit him and there is nothing wrong with that. So he took his folks, he took his students, he took his... Those who surround him and they went to visit Sayyid Bahr al-Ulum. Sayyid Bahr al-Ulum acted as if he doesn't know this man. Salam alaykum salam. They sat down. He didn't even ask him of his situation. Didn't speak to him. Didn't. So they left. The students of Naraqi said, Sayyid, Shaykhna, look at the Sayyid. He's so rude. He's so disrespectful. As if he doesn't know you. You should have said something. He said, no. Maybe he was not having a good day. Maybe he really didn't know me. Maybe he has something against me I'm not aware of. There's no reason to talk about this. So now they're expecting Sayyid Bahr al-Ulum to repay the visit. Three days pass, the Sayyid doesn't come. Naraqi says, let's go and visit the Sayyid again. They went, and this time even worse. The Sayyid doesn't even get up for Naraqi. He just says, Alaykum as and starts speaking to his own students. Naraqi is shocked. Imagine if this had happened to us. Oof. I go and visit someone, and they don't respect me? And the second time I visit them, it gets worse. Let's teach this guy a lesson. Go sit down on the internet and write something. The second time, the third time, Naraki says, I'm leaving tomorrow back to Qom. I like the Sayyid. He doesn't like me. It's okay. I'm going to go and visit him again. As soon as they arrived, they saw Sayyid Bahr al-Ulum by the door. He took the hands of Naraqi and he kissed it. And he said to him, I read the book of Naraqi in Akhlaq. I wanted to see if Naraqi is the embodiment of his book. Yes, it's a big test. Every moment when Naraqi is saying, he's saying to himself, it's okay. Calm down. You don't have to be angry. Every moment when he's walking back to Sayyid Bahrulul Ulum's home, it's a jihad of the faculty of nafs. He has controlled it. 
Every time Sayyid Bahr al-Uloom in every moment didn't respect him. It was a struggle within him. What should I say? What should I do? But he managed. He was able to take care of that nafs, to control that nafs. And that's what Amir al-Mu'mineen says, Innaha nafsi. It's my nafs, not the nafs of my neighbor. Not the nafs of my cousin, not the nafs of my husband, not the nafs of my wife. Innaha nafsi. It belongs to me. Urawiduha. I make sure I control it. I hold on to it. doesn't hold me. It doesn't control. Urawiduha bittaqwa. With taqwa. With piety. Number three. What are the three steps, brothers and sisters, in order for us to take full control over our faculties and be able to diffuse this anger? Number one is to acknowledge that we're angry. Because every person gets angry. When you're angry, acknowledge that you're angry, but look for the reason. Is it a negative reason or a positive reason? Because sometimes we have a, a negative reason to be angry. Sometimes it's a positive anger. When, for example, when it comes to a father and a mother towards their children, if you never become angry, I don't mean angry take the slippers, you know, or the, no, 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 this is not what I'm talking about. No, anger, anger to control them or else beating your children shouting at them in a manner where they get scared, they can't sleep, this is all haram. And it has its own rulings. No, no, anger to control them, anger to give them ethical and moral standards, teach them, it's positive. You know, some parents, they're like ATM machines. Does the ATM machine get angry? No, ATM machine doesn't get angry. Even if you beat it up, it doesn't get angry. You just press the pin, and every parent has a different pin, you know. You press the pin, it gives you money. They take the money, put it in their pocket, and they walk away. ATM machine. This child, when he grows up, the famous line says, مَنْ لَمْ يُؤَدِّبْهُ أَدَّبَهُ الزَّمَانِ If you are the one that gives adab to your children, Morality to your children, ethics to your children, others will. Be the one that gives them adab. You should be the one that gives them morality. Why are you waiting for others? Another example of anger that is positive is the anger of a teacher. Mu'allim, murabbi. It's okay for him to get angry. And again, I emphasize, not the anger that, you know, some teachers, they beat the student. No, 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 no. no. But anger that disciplines them. One day Imam Zainul Abideen with his companions and he was the murabbi of his companions. He was the muallam of his companions. He was walking and he suddenly became extremely angry. But how would they become angry? They saw that the face of the Imam is changing red. The Imam is holding on to his fist. So one of his companions said, Ya ibn Rasulullah, I've never seen you this angry. Why are you so angry? He says, yes, I'm angry. He says, why are you angry? He says, do you see that man and his son? He says, yes. 
He says the man is carrying the greatest weight on his back while his son is walking with him and he's talking to him. The imam became angry because this child doesn't have discipline. His child, this child now needs discipline. How can you let your father carry the weight on his back while you're walking next to him? Yes, the imam becomes angry. One day Imam al-Sadiq <coughs> was walking with one of his companions. One of his companions saw a man, he's walking back there, who was not amongst the followers of the imam, somebody. So the man, he said something about the mother of that man, one of the companions of the imam. Yes, you better know the imam became angry. The imam said, don't speak to me now, leave. You don't deserve this company. He said, Ya ibn Rasulullah, his mother was majus. His mother was not even from Ahl al-Kitab. She was not Muslim. She was a pagan. He says, was she his mother or was she not his mother? Was she one who gave birth to him or was she not? How can you say that about him? So this is the mannerism that we're ought to take. Sometimes there is positive anger. Yes, we get angry to discipline. We get angry for the sake of Allah. Sometimes we see certain things and the ghirah and the anger takes over us because of Allah, because of Rasulullah, because of Imam Hussein, because of the Ahlul Bayt. This is positive. But what is the negative one? The negative one is when the anger doesn't have a reasonable or a rational explanation. For example, we come home, food isn't ready. If you get angry, doesn't have a rationale behind it. Doesn't make sense. If you're fighting with your wife because she didn't iron your shirt, doesn't make sense. If you're fighting with your husband because, for example, he won't let you read his text messages, it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, the reason why we're angry. And I tell you, I wanted to speak tonight, unfortunately we don't have time. I wanted to, to, to speak about teen anger. The anger of the teenagers. The studies indicate that the greatest reason behind the anger of the teens is lack of communication within the family. They become angry within. Sometimes you don't see this anger, but they bite their nails. They go and they draw on themselves. Sometimes, what do they do? What do they do? They cut themselves. They hurt themselves. Self-destruction. Don't think that, oh, this is not, alhamdulillah, my kids, they don't do this. How do you know they don't do this? They become so angry, they start self-destructing themselves. Contemplating on suicide. Murder. Let me go kill a couple of people at school and then kill myself. Or let me overdose on some medication. And this happens in our communities. We have lost many youth. We have lost many young women, many young men because of the deep anger that they have. The reason, number one reason being lack of communication within the family. If you are a father, don't say I'm not going to spend time talking to my daughter. This is the job of his mom, of her mom. Let the mom speak to the daughters. Let the father speak. This is wrong. Your daughter needs your love. She needs your affection. She needs your emotions. She needs your hugs. She needs your quality time. 
Go read the studies. See that the women are in need of more of an emotional care than your sons. And especially the emotional attention from their fathers. Similarly, with the young men who go out there every day, he finds himself, I'm not good enough. My father always wants me to be the best. I've always failed him. So there is this anger within. There is this struggle within. Speak to them. If you want them to succeed, put them on the path of success. Help them succeed. When you break his character every day, he's never going to succeed. When you tell him, I send you to buy one thing, look, look, look at what you've done. You better believe you're destroying his self-esteem. I told you to come and speak. You can't speak one sentence. Look at this guy. My friend's son, how eloquent he is. How beautiful he speaks. Why don't you learn from him? You're destroying his self-esteem. Look at such and such. Your, your, your cousin, he has a 4.0 in school. What about you? You have a 2.0. Does your brain not work? You're destroying his self-esteem. Don't let this anger built in within them. Go find the reason and help them overcome their anger within. And number three, brothers and sisters, and with this we conclude, the third law tells you in the Quran that the key for you to diffuse your anger forever, to overcome your anger forever, not momentarily, is through forgiveness. Those who wrong you, forgive them. Or else the anger will linger for 40 years. The anger will linger until the day they put you in your grave. We'll never be able to overcome it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in chapter 3, verse 134 alludes to this and says, الَّذِينَ Describing the mu'mineen, يُنْفِقُونَ فِي السَّرَّاءِ وَالضَّرَّاءِ one of their signs is that they pay while they have and while they don't have. Yes. Indeed, when I have money in my pocket and I donate, it's not a big deal because I have. And when I don't have, I never say no. This is the first sign. And those who control their anger, they get angry. But they control it. And they forgive the people. You've wronged me, I forgive you. I know what you have done and I know what you have said. Whether you tell me or you don't, I'm aware of it. But I forgive you. Then, then Allah says, no, 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 no. There's one more quality. Meaning those who wrong them, how do they retaliate with ihsan? Someone wrongs me? I told him it's okay. Here is a loan. You wronged me? Go start a business. You wronged me? I'll take your kids through school. Wallahu yuhabbul. But what's the result? Allah loves them. Wallahu yuhabbul muhsineen. And imagine if Allah loves someone. Imam 
Al-Kadhimi alayhi salatu wassalam, Musa ibn Ja'far, one day he was performing wudu. The servant threw the bucket on his head, he started bleeding. So the Imam became angry. Immediately she said to him, Wal-Kadhimin al-Ghayr. She reminded him of this ayah. He said, Kadhamtu ghayri. I controlled my anger. وَالْكَاظِمِينَ الْغَيْظِ كَظَمْتُ غَيْظِي وَالْعَافِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ He said, عفوت عنك I've forgiven you. Then she said, وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ He said, you're free. A woman has just broken his head. He's bleeding. She's his servant. He goes from forgiving her to freeing her. وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ